Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 166, and we are back doing kind of the, the quote-unquote normal podcast. You know, we had the three roundtables at the Nebraska Girls State Tournament last week, uh, so I hope you folks enjoyed those. They were a lot of fun to do. Ate a lot of pizza at the Mellow Mushroom last week. Uh, but this week, we are really excited to have John Palicki, the head girls basketball coach at Resurrection College Prep in the northwestern uh, suburbs of Chicago, Illinois. And in just a little bit, I'm going to ask John perhaps the most important question that I could ask him here. But John, I'm going to keep you in suspense here. So just <clears throat> hold, hold that thought for just a or hold on just for a second. Uh, but before we talk to John, of course, we want to thank uh, our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you or any of your athletes have any balanced neck or spinal issues, uh, give Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi a call at 402-964-0300. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Been a little bit slow on that here lately. Had a lot of stuff going on, state tournament, uh, Big Ten tournament, a lot of just a lot of different things going on in my life, so I'm sorry for not putting as much on the Twitter handle as I normally do. Uh, again, if you're listening here, we really appreciate it. Uh, uh, like, subscribe uh, on iTunes here. Give us a five-star review. That just helps push things up in the ratings for us, so be sure to do that. Any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at penandanapkin at gmail.com. Check out a penandanapkin.com. It's a good coaching website, and as I say, I know that because I'm the one that put it together, so check it out. So, And uh, yeah, that's about it. Let's get going here. So, John... Uh, most important question I have for you, and, and this could be the shortest podcast in the history of a pen and a napkin, depending on this very answer right here. So are you ready, sir? I'm ready. Cubs or White Sox? Oh, Cubs. Okay. All right. Then we can proceed. Then we can proceed. Okay. Yeah, Good. No doubt. Good. Where were you on November 2nd, 2016? Uh, that's a great question. To b- Believe it or not, I was one of those Cubs fans, Marty, that just wanted to watch the game by myself. Really? So I was actually by myself. I think game seven, I was so nervous that I don't know if I would have been good around other people. <laughs> uh, so I was actually by myself. I've grown up a, a Cubs fan my whole life, been a partial season ticket holder for for a few years of my life, and it was one of those where I, I think I just needed to be by myself and yell at my TV. <laughs> I uh, I wore a hole through my carpet, uh, through the mm-hmm. floor. Uh, I, I was it was like one of those goofy cartoons where you see somebody like half you know half their body is is above the the floor and the other half is is below it. And uh, you know I I often joke uh, the five greatest days of my life was. Uh, the day that I got married, the the birth of our three children, and November second, twenty sixteen, and I'm not going to tell you what order they're in. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> that's probably better left unsaid. Yeah, all time favorite Cub, John. All time favorite Cub. Um, I'm going to go with Carrie Wood. Oh, okay. Carrie uh, Wood. Uh, it brings back a lot of memories for me, and so I, I will go with Carrie Wood. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, I, I know this is like the most vanilla answer that anybody can give, but as a child of the 80s, growing up in the 80s and, and playing second base my entire, most of my 
baseball career. Uh, it, it, it's it's got to be Ryan Sandberg. Uh, but yeah. That, yeah, that's for me. Uh, and again, another one from that era, Gracie uh, is is probably yep. my second favorite. And then I don't know. I'm a sucker for the right side of the infield. John uh, Anthony Rizzo might be my, my third all time favorite Cub there. So uh, that's 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 my. I got probably well. If we're gonna go that far, might as well go with the Mount Rushmore of Chicago Cubs here. Um, I'm probably you know. Just for the heck of it, maybe Rod Shooter Beck, and for one okay. for, for, for the one great year that he had in 1998. I don't know. I th- I thought I'd throw a random Cubs name out there. So, uh, who's on your Mount Rushmore other than uh, well, Kerry Wood? What What's funny is uh, you know I'm not sure if I could do my total Mount Rushmore, but since you brought up Rod Beck and I start talking about Kerry Wood, I can actually still tell you probably the entire 1998 starting lineup so that that's to show you how uh uh, cubs nerdy i guess i am okay i've got 1984 down to a t uh so there you go yeah so we we should probably start talking about some basketball here i I think that's probably (laughs) a good idea so uh again john palicki the head girls basketball coach at resurrection college prep in in chicago coach really excited to have you on the podcast this week uh hopefully we still have uh, non-cubs fans still listening to us here so uh you know hey coach let's just dive in here uh you know the way we usually start here is uh just you telling us about your bas- your background your basketball journey so i'm going to turn it over to you at this point uh tell us how you ended up being the girls basketball coach at uh, college prep there you know, I, I started out uh, myself as a grammar school coach, uh, real young. Um, I started off when I was 17, 18 years old. Um, I coached uh, sixth graders. Uh, I still talk to some of those sixth graders. Now mm-hmm. they're they're grown men with wives and children of their own. Yeah. Um, but uh, and I, I just kind of moved my way up the ladder. I, I did some some uh, like feeder in this area, so it's kind of like uh, the the teams that feed into the high school. Uh, so, you know, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. I did some local uh, grammar school at a Catholic school I started off with. Um, and then and then I actually went to the college game, Division three at Dominican University mm-hmm. uh, in River Forest, mm-hmm. Illinois, um, which was a, a big break for me. I worked for a wonderful coach, uh, Gabby Johnson, who gave me an opportunity. And uh, after that, I went to St. Vider High School. Um, in, in Arlington Heights, mm-hmm. uh, Illinois, and uh, then for the last seven years, I've I've been at Resurrection. So it's uh, it, I think I just summarized a seventeen-year career <laughs> in about seventeen seconds. There, uh, that, that's okay. Uh, what was uh, what were some of the deciding factors that you had in in going from one job to the next job? Uh, when did you know it was time to to look perhaps or maybe you weren't looking but the opportunity presented itself in front of you that you had no you know you weren't really looking but it's like oh wow yeah that might be something I'm interested in you know what what were some of the things that you looked at as you as you went from job to job so this is a this is a true story and this is probably a a, I guess a a podcast-ish type story but uh, when I was about 15, 16, I knew I wanted to be a coach. And I think most most kids, when they're growing up, they're like, I, I want to be the, the best athlete. I want to play center field for the Cubs or I want to play, you know, shooting guard for the Bulls. For some reason, you know, that early teens me knew I wanted to be a coach from a very young age. And when I was about 15, 16, this is an absolutely true story. Uh, I had a white piece of paper and I took it out 
and I wrote on the white piece of paper my goals. So by age 20, I can't recall the ages, but by like age 22, I wanted to be a, a head freshman coach of a high school. By age 27, I wanted to be a head JV coach. By age 35, I wanted to be a head varsity coach. And mm-hmm. um, you know, though I, I swear to God, to this day, I, I wish I still had that piece of paper, but I. I put that piece of paper on my bedroom door yep. um, when I was about 17 years old. And I knew that was something I, I really wanted to aspire to. Um, and, and lucky enough, I, I was able to achieve that head coaching uh, goal, dream of mine at age 29. Gotcha. Uh, as far as, as far as how I knew the opportunity, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty uh, analytical person. I'm a pretty think it out person, maybe, maybe to a fault. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people where if I see a job and, and I, I kind of first go on feel, but then as I get closer and closer to the opportunity, I am truly one of those people that makes a pros and cons list. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I often will just write out, these are the pros, these are the cons. And, um, I, I would just ultimately say I'm, I am truly somebody that after I do that analytics, I just follow my gut and I just feel like. Hey, this is the right opportunity for me. It feels like the right fit, and I go for it. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so, so your current job, a little bit unique. Uh, most of us uh, are teaching at a, a co-ed institution. Most of those co-ed institutions are public schools uh, for the high school coaches that that listen to the pod. Uh, you know, few are are, are private schools. Uh, that are, are co-ed, and then you have your 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 single gender uh, institutions, and you're at a an all girls school there at Resurrection College Prep. Uh, how is that? Uh, how has that been unique? Being uh, or or is it any different than any of your other jobs? Being at a at a single gender school as opposed to a a traditional co-ed school, whether that be a public school or a private school. You know, I, I myself went to public school growing up. Um, obviously, it was a co-ed environment. And um, in my last seven years in an in a all-girls uh, private uh, institution, the thing that I have found the greatest benefit is to the empowerment of the young women and how the, the goal of the school is to empower the young women to be leaders and to be the next generation of, of great um people in our community. And, and I absolutely love it. I love the mission of the school. I love the empowerment of the young women. And uh, I am a major, major advocate for girls and women's sports um, and, and the growth of, of girls and women's sports. You know, I started my career in the first eight years on, on the boys uh, men's side and, and the last nine I've done on the, the girls women's side. And, mm-hmm. and I absolutely love, I love the mission of empowering women to be the next generation of leaders um, in their communities, in their states, um, and and just across the globe, I, I think it's a, a awesome mission to be a part of every day. You're, you're also in a unique situation where, and, and I did this for a year as we were talking before we before we started here. You're you're teaching uh, your, your full time job is at a different school than the one that you coach at. Uh, what is yep. that? Uh, what is that all entailed? 
Uh, how, you know, for, for coaches that might be in a situation like that and maybe they're struggling with it or maybe they're considering doing something like that, uh, you know, what have you done to make that situation work? How have you worked with both administrations to make your personal situation work so that you can do your full-time job uh, at one institution, but then you come over and you do your coaching over there at Resurrection? You know, I think that's a, a great question. And and are there challenges? There are absolutely challenges. I, I would jokingly say the first challenge is just gas money. Um, <laughs> but but I, 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 I do, there there are definitely challenges to it. I think, um, I think the first key to success is just having that administrative alignment. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by mm-hmm. that is just that your administrators that you work for and you work with understand your situation. Um, and, and I am very fortunate that you know, both of both of the schools I work at, they're very understanding that, you know, I have two passions. I have a passion for both of the schools that I work at. I pour my heart into both of the places I work at. Um, and, I, and I think that is totally possible if you have to start with that that administrative alignment to support you um, as far as you know, ways to be successful. I think the first one is just to be in communication with your players at all times. Mm-hmm. And I, I truly think one of the advantages is maybe I couldn't have done this 25, 30 years ago. But I think because of technology, because of email, because of uh, access to their phones, because of uh, platforms like Schoology, which we use, uh, GroupMe, uh, I, I, I think it's makes it so much easier to communicate with are my student athletes. Mm-hmm. And I think to be quite honest with you, a lot of student athletes like to communicate through technology. Mm-hmm. So I do think that that does make it easier. And then the last thing I will say is just having a coaching staff, a couple of which do work in the building uh, and a couple of which have a little bit more freedom in their jobs so that they are able to help me out in possibly a situation where I'm not able to be at maybe as quickly as them, like a early bus to an away game or something like that. So I, I think overall those three things kind of play to make it easier to do. Is there, is there anything that, uh, you know, other than like the, the logistics is, is there, is there times where, you know, do you feel like being in a different school uh, maybe sometimes you, you wish, you know, if I was in the school, maybe I, I could create a little bit better relationship or the kids could see me a little bit in a, in a different light as a classroom teacher or whatever that may be. Is, is there, is there a little bit of part of you that, that kind of goes through that? Or is it, is it just kind of like, Hey, it's, it's a situation we have here and, and I, and I'm, we're making it work and I like it like this and, and we're going to kind of keep going this direction. Um, I think that answer is twofold. I think, yeah, yeah, of course, I think you would always, especially like if something happens or there's an issue that day, obviously it's harder to navigate through that issue, right? When you're Mm -hmm. not in the building. Um, But I also do think something that I I do somewhat like and enjoy and I think is good for me is a little bit of that 20 minutes of decompression time from from one one school to another and it's also it also kind of helps me be able to code switch a little bit Mm -hmm. from this is my day job to having that 20 minutes to code switch to okay I'm going into coaching mode now so yeah I definitely think there's things that I wish 
could be easier, um, helping students more academically and, th and those kind of things. But I do think it, it is nice and I have found an advantage maybe in something that has some disadvantages in that sure. ability to decompress and code switch. I, I love that uh, attitude with that, that you're, yeah, you're taking that and making it into an advantage there. So um, your, your, your full-time job as a, in education mm -hmm. Is also yep. a little bit unique. We, we we've got some unique circumstances in more ways than one. Uh, you are a behavior specialist at a, it was yep. a middle school, right? You said, John. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What 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 all goes into that type of job? We could spend an entire podcast on what goes into that job. <laughs> well, let's let's um, try to narrow it down to I don't know forty five seconds or so. Yeah. yeah. So what I what I will say to, and the easiest way to explain it is. I want you to imagine a school social worker and a dean of students and a special education teacher and put them together. And that's kind of my job. So I deal with um, more of the um, higher level um, things in the schools. Um, so whether it be behavior or attendance or um, outside circumstances or uh, social emotional concerns or mm -hmm. so kind of those higher um, level things in a school, those bigger cases in the school, um, that if you can imagine like a social worker and a dean and a special education teacher kind of rolled into one. Gotcha. Uh, how do you think having that type of position in education has helped you with your coaching, with your philosophy, with the way that you work with your teams, with the way that you work with your individual players? How do, how is that, uh, like I said, that kind of little bit more of a unique uh, niche job has has made you a better basketball coach so i'm going to say two different ways the first one is my day job is a lot about understanding the why of the behavior of a student so in my coaching job obviously as coaches we also want to understand often the why of things mm -hmm. why a player took this shot or why this occurred in a game and and i think that's a big deal for me is whether it's a student or a player or anyone um, it's just understanding the why of the behavior. Um, mm -hmm. And the other way I would say is something I do a lot of when I work with teachers is I talk to teachers, especially with students with um, sometimes behavioral challenges, is um, a phrase that I learned from somebody that I look up to called need, want, and prefer. And when you look at a student that may have those behavioral challenges as a teacher, you really need to understand what you need from the student, what you want from the student, and what you prefer from the student. And I'll give you a 10-second example of what I mean. Okay. So, for example, if a student is misbehaving or disruptive in class, maybe you just need the student to come into your class, sit at their desk, and not disrupt everyone else. Mm -hmm. Maybe you prefer that they attempt to do their schoolwork. I'm sorry, you want them to do their schoolwork, and maybe you prefer that they do it well. Mm -hmm. So that same thing that same thing with coaching. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to understand with your athletes what you need from them that day, what you want from them, and what you prefer from them. And often I think sometimes with coaching, if the student athletes having the bad day, we might confuse that need from that prefer. Maybe we just need them to be at practice that day mm -hmm. to deal and help them through something. And then maybe we want them to try and maybe we prefer they do well, but maybe we're not always going to get that prefer that day. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I, I love that perspective. I think that's a great way to look at it. So,
Coaches, you know what that song means. It's time for the third annual A Pen and a Napkin Coaches Clinic. This year's clinic will take place on Saturday, April the 1st at Fort Calhoun High School in Fort Calhoun, Nebraska, just 20 minutes north of downtown Omaha. We've got a great lineup of speakers, starting with three great on-court demonstrations. Dick Jungers, the head girls basketball coach at Newell Fonda, Iowa, will start the day off with the ins and outs of his full-court run-and-jump defense that has led to multiple state championships. Dexter Goodner, the head girls basketball coach at Orton, Nebraska, will highlight his favorite shooting drills and his favorite sets, while Zach Foster, the head boys basketball coach at Hastings Adams Central High School here in Nebraska, will be showing us his 1-3-1 defense and the ins and outs of the mentality of shooters. One of the unique things about the Appendant and Napkin Coaches Clinic are our lunch classroom sessions. This year, we've got three great coaches giving classroom presentations. Brett Watson, the boys' head basketball coach at Waukee Northwest High School in Waukee, Iowa, just outside of Des Moines, is going to talk about coaching the mental game. Jake Nonnen, the head girls basketball coach at Superior High School here in Nebraska, is going to talk about developing your team and individuals through small-sided games, while Kylie Yates, the boys basketball coach at South O'Brien High School in Paulina, Iowa, is going to talk about implementing and also attacking the 2-3 zone. In addition to our presenters, we also have two designated breakout sessions where you will get the opportunity to discuss various topics with other coaches attending the clinic. These sessions are a great way to pick the brains of your peers at the clinic, and it's one of the most enjoyable points of our annual show. After a long day of learning about hoops, it'll be time to kick back and relax, and we'll be having an optional post-clinic social at the Longhorn in downtown Fort Calhoun, where we will be enjoying the opening game of the Men's Final Four from Houston. It's $15 per coach to attend the post-game social. Our Appendant and Napkin Clinic is one of the most affordable clinics in America. For over seven hours of learning, we only charge $45 for the first coach. Think about that. That's about $6.50 an hour to come in and gather all this great information. If you bring in two coaches from the same staff, we bring that down to $85 for two coaches. $115 for three coaches from the same staff. And if you bring four or more coaches from your staff, it's only $35 per coach. Think of it. That's $5 an hour that you're paying for your staff to come in and have a great day. If you're interested in signing up for our pen and a napkin clinic, look at our flyer on Twitter and mail it in, print it off, send it in. Or you can DM me on Twitter at a pen and a napkin, or you can email me a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Registrations are due by Thursday, March the 30th, 2023. Coaches, don't miss out on one of the best coaches clinics in America. Come check out the A Pen and a Napkin Coaches Clinic. Um, what, uh, you are, you are a member of the, the IBCA, is, is that the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association? Yes, it is. Okay, so I, I I grasped the obvious there, John. So chalk one up for me. So, uh, and, and not only that, uh, you're a, you're a member of I, I believe I looked it up one of the regional boards or or something along those lines. Uh, is that yeah. what it is? Yeah. So uh, we we used to have a divisional format where I was one of the assistant directors of the divisional format. We've tweaked it a little bit, but I also do serve in a couple different ways at the IBCA. One of them is uh, I vote on the on the Hall of Fame classes, and um, I'm just I am very active in the IBCA. Yes. Okay. So uh, you know sometimes it's easy for 
coaches who are not part of the the quote unquote state boards or the the coaches associations and and when decisions are made uh, how can we do that you know what are we doing what are we thinking blah you know or or hey great idea you know and just like with anything else we we hear a lot more about what we do wrong more than what we do right or the perceived right wrongs over the rights or whatever it may be uh but but being on the 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 board and and working being being very active uh, at that high of a level, uh, how is how has that affected your your coaching philosophy, and and how has that maybe made you a, a better coach and and better prepared and 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 just you know getting different perspectives. I'm sure you talk to people from all over the state of Illinois and maybe perhaps from other places as well in that role. Uh, so so kind of tell us a little bit about that and how that's kind of affected your 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 coaching philosophy and what you do. You know, the first thing I would say is it's helped me look at the state of basketball, and I I mean the state of of the game in Illinois, in in a in a larger sense, in how we can continue to grow the game in Illinois, how we can continue to better the game in Illinois, and and somewhat the future of the game in Illinois. I would say that the IBCA is largely a group of men and women who have been on the IBCA a long time. And I think as we continue to push forward with the IBCA, we, we want to see more young coaches get involved. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how it is in Nebraska for you guys, but, you know, we, we want to continue to grow the game in Illinois. And, and we are seeing a, a trend in some coaches getting out of coaching a little bit earlier than they have in the last few decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we want to continue to grow the game, both with coaches and officials. Because, mm-hmm. um, again, I don't know how it is in Nebraska, but we are losing a lot of officials in yep. Illinois. Same same here, buddy. Same here. Yep. So I think it's – one thing the IBCA has helped me do is look at the game as a whole and how we can continue to grow it for the whole state. You know, the other thing I'm going to say is Illinois is such a unique state. It is – from the Chicagoland area, which is very condensed, and and thousands of high schools that are all within you know a hundred mile radius of each other, yep. and then you get south of Joliet, and it's very spread out, and yep. it becomes a very rural state. And mm-hmm. you know the the things that the the rural high schools value and need and want to improve can often be very different than yeah. what the Chicago community coaches want to improve so i think that's another thing just being involved in the ibca is just seeing that dichotomy of the difference of hey these are what the coaches in chicago want these are what the coaches in the rural area want and to be quite honest our 4a our biggest girls state champion this year was a school that's probably 15 minutes outside of st louis Mm -hmm. so you know, yeah. what those coaches want as well. So yeah. I think that the IBCA has helped me see it in that way. And then the last thing I would say the IBCA has done to kind of help my coaching is just give me so many new connections and people and, you know, coaches to learn from. And yeah. um, it's just, it's so great to just see the different ways that people do things, you know, from little, little towns of, schools with 175 people to we have high schools in the Chicago land area that are, I, I was, I was kind of chuckling when you were saying how many people, you know, grew up in your town. We have high schools that are <laughs> six, seven, 8,000 people. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's, 
it's that's what the IBC has done for me is yeah. it's just create those connections of so many wonderful coaches. You, you bring that up with uh, Illinois and, and kind of the differences between the Chicago area and then the rest of the state in large part. You know, we can, we have the same thing here in Nebraska where we have we have Omaha uh, and Lincoln, which represent well over half of the population of the state just in, in two cities. Um, and, but then you have this massive amount of area going all the way out to the panhandle of Nebraska. Uh, and, and there's a couple of towns that are, you know, you know, 25,000, 30,000 people in like a Scotts Bluff or a North Platte. Uh, but, but those are literally hundreds of miles away uh, from, from a lot of the teams that they could play against. And, but you want to have, you want to hear the concerns and, and the uh, try to make the playing field as fair as you can while you also have to look at it as like, but half of our state lives in Omaha and another, you know, X percentage lives in Lincoln and kind of the same thing, like you said, with Chicago there. So it is a balancing act, don't you think, John, in, in trying to, you know, use common sense and, and, and things like that. And, and sometimes it almost feels like, and I know people here in, in our state kind of feel like, uh, you know, there's kind of two there's two different areas and, and there's two different, you know, sometimes it would almost feel like it would be easier if it was just two kind of different things where it's the, the, you know, in your case, the Chicago and then kind of everything South of there. And then, you know, for us in here in Nebraska, it's kind of the Omaha Lincoln area and then kind of everybody else is, uh, and, and, and you don't want those jealousies to exist, but sometimes the jealousies and the frustrations that come in because you're not seeing my perspective, I'm not seeing yours. And, and, and it gets, it gets, uh, you know, it can kind of, make things a little bit more difficult than what it needs to be. But you also understand where people are coming from as well. The perfect example, I'll give you one example, is so Illinois from top to bottom is about a six and a half hour drive, I would say. Yep. The perfect example is where are the state finals? Where are for the for the girls and the boys? It's a it's champagne, how far north it? do they go versus how far south? So yes, the boys finals are in Champaign and the girls finals are in Bloomington. Um, which are both central to the to the state, mm-hmm. um, but it but it is it, it's such a you know because even central to the state for somebody that lives down in the Carbondale area you know for your listeners Carbondale is very southern Illinois almost Kentucky area you know that's still a three and a half four hour drive mm-hmm. so it's you know it, it is it's it's just everything from where the state finals are to rules to the big debate in Illinois is a shot clock yep. now. Um, yep. so it's, we're going yeah, through the same thing. Yep. Um, you had mentioned, John, uh, keeping coaches, uh, young coaches in the game, uh, and especially as high school coaches. How do, how do we do that? What, uh, what do we do to keep young people? Because uh, what I'm starting to see is, yeah, I want to coach, but there's a lot of things I don't, I, I, I kind of, it gets frustrating to deal with as a high school coach, but I still want to get my coaching fixed. So I'm going to coach AAU for such and such. AAU program uh, instead of keeping good coaches and and bigger than that good teachers within the school system. So, uh, what are some of the things that you've talked about with with your uh, coaching compadres to to try and and make that happen? So I would first just say if we had that answer, we'd be millionaires, right? <laughs> um, I think one of the big things we have talked about is 
um, like a coach's mentor program almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's something that I've kind of done informally. I think that's something a, f- a few of us have done informally. But, you know, I, I can remember back to my first year as a head coach when I looked around and I was like, wait a minute, 90% of my work has nothing to do with basketball. It's budgeting and uniforms and ordering equipment and uh, making sure things are with referees and doing my schedule and and just doing all these things where you were like, wait a minute, as the head sophomore coach, all I had to do was coach basketball. What, mm-hmm. what are all these things? Um, so it's one big thing is just setting up that mentoring program where, you know, hey, you're a brand new head coach at XYZ High School. You know, I, I am here. You can ask me any question you want. And I know I had those people when I first started out. Um, I know that I have now become that person um, for head coaches that are just starting out um, where they just bounced ideas off me or this situation happened and they're like, you know, has this ever happened to you? And so I think that that is definitely a major one we've talked about. And I think another one is, you know, we just have to realize that, you know, it's okay to take a break. Like I, I actually said to myself, um, my season just ended a couple weeks ago that this week and, and next week that this would be my time where I'm just going to step away and take a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think it just, saying to yourself that's okay i think if we try to do this every day all day year round it's gonna burn us out so i think that's those are those are two big things is giving yourself that time away and also you know trying to find a way to mentor some of these younger coaches yeah i i agree with you there about the the time away uh to you know set up a little calendar for yourself uh, you know, it, uh, I'm not going to do this until this date. And even, and, and it's okay to take a week or two weeks or whatever, that, that film's still going to be there in two weeks and you're not going to coach your team. You know, our season is done. A lot of seasons are wrapping up state tournaments or, are, are, are getting taken care of. Uh, the, the soonest week most of us can work with our kids is, is June at this point now. Uh, especially big picture with our whole teams. So you don't have to watch that film next week to start breaking it down. That, that'll that be there on April 1st. So give yourself a couple of weeks away from film or whatever whatever you need to do. I, I think that's a, a, a great idea there, uh, Coach. I, I think that's really well said. So um, one, you're, you're a fellow podcaster, John, a, a fellow podcaster. So uh, after the Time Out podcast, where'd the idea come from? So my partner Todd and I started the After the Timeout podcast during COVID. Okay. Uh, we were we were two coaches that were sitting around, and in Illinois, we were basically out of the game for a year, um, and and we were we're both kind of like, well, this is boring. What do we do now? Um, and you know, we had gone back and forth for a little while, just like you know, we would talk on the phone, and we would have ideas, and be like this would be a great podcast or this would be a great conversation or I wonder what other people think. Mm-hmm. And so we just mm-hmm. decided one day, you know, we kind of looked it up and we we're like, you know, let's just see what happens. And I, I, I'm not sure how you felt when you started yours, but we're like, who knows? Maybe no one will listen. Like, <laughs> but let's just, let's just try an episode and let's just put it out. And Hey, if no one listens, what do we have to lose? Yeah. So the, one of the first questions for us was, who is gonna want to be a guest to talk to us? Yeah, and we kind of were like, you know, like who? And so 
We found, um, I'm not sure if you know, but Ryan McCarthy, he's the head coach at Alaska Anchorage okay. uh, for the women's basketball. And, and he does some great, phenomenal work on amoeba zones and pressure. And so we had reached out to coach. And again, it, we're two guys from the Chicago suburbs reaching out to a, a, a head college coach who's played for a Division II national title and, and is in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And we thought there was no way he was going to say yeah. And he's like, oh, I would love to jump on. Yeah. Cool. So we had our first episode and, and we get done and and I we both said to each other, do we even want to listen to this? Is this even good? <laughs> um, and so, you know, it, it kind of just went from there. And, uh-huh. and we were kind of amazed as we went on to, you know, we were two episodes in. And, and here's uh, Coach James Jones from Yale that w- was ready to be on. And, wow. you know, then, and then uh, Kelly Graves from Oregon was like, absolutely, I'll be happy to be on. And, and it kind it is taken off in a way that both Todd and I, and, and I will speak for him, it, we never would have thought. But um, the thing I will just say about a podcast, and, and I'm sure you feel the same, is the best part of it for Todd and I is all the amazing coaches we have gotten to talk to and learn from. Yep. And it has just been a wonderful experience that we would never change for anything. That that uh, I've told that as, as well to people is that was the unexpected uh, benefit that I got from it is every week – uh, usually every week. I mean, every once in a while you, you miss something because of whatever, you know, mm-hmm. but, but every week I get to have a, a high level conversation with a really, really good basketball coach and to pick their brain and to ask them questions and uh, to, to help add things to my tool chest or uh, to reaffirm why some things are in my tool chest and, and, and why I, want them in there as opposed to what's in somebody else's tool chest, for example, you know, and, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of, you know, I, I chuckle at, at a couple of things that you said there, but I was, I was kind of in the same vein. I, I remember I bounced the idea off of three or four trusted friends, I guess, you know, and, and then when I asked people to come on, uh, I've been married now. Uh, it'll be 25 years in August. Uh, been with the same woman for 28 plus years. Uh, so I haven't, you know, kind of asked anybody out for a while. <laughs> and, and so I, uh, I, uh, I called up my uh, my friend uh, Kelly Flynn, who's a, a, a legendary coach here in Nebraska. Uh, and Kelly, that's the highest praise I'm ever going to give you whenever you listen to this. So, but I, I was like, um, hey, um, Kelly, uh, yeah. Uh, and I felt like I was 15 years old again. Uh, I was just kind of wondering, like, you know, I'm trying to try this. Would you, would you, would you come on with me? Yeah, would you come on with me? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and Kelly, you know, I, I can't, you know, uh, Kelly jumped right on. Jennifer Raggi, uh, uh, Tom Taverdi, uh, you know, a few other, Dick Jungers, high school buddy of mine, highly successful, you know. So it was definitely, I, I worked, you kind of dove in with both feet. I worked the friend network to start with, and you were like, mm-hmm. heck, I'm just, I'm going big or going home. So that's <laughs> that's impressive, John. I, I kind of worked myself up to that point, so... Uh, that, that's impressive that you guys just went for it right away. Uh, um, you know, that's, that's we good. Did. We did. Our, our, our thought always, I swear to God, we say this to each other all the time. Our thought always is what's the worst that can happen. They say no. Yeah. Just like asking somebody out, you know, and that's right. Yeah. So, uh, Hey, great minds think alike, I guess, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. Coaches, do you want to look good? Pfft, stupid question. Of course you want to look good. 
We all want to look good. You know what's the best way to look good? Buying yourself some a pen and a napkin merchandise. We've got some really, really good-looking stuff here. We've got T-shirts and sweatshirts, and you are not going to regret picking that up. T-shirts are $22 a piece. Sweatshirts are $30 a piece. If I need to mail it to you, it's just $5 shipping and handling to get this good-looking stuff out to you. Coaches, I appreciate all that you've done for me over the last three years or so with a pen and a napkin. I hope I've been able to help you out. Might as well come out and help out the Twitter handle and the podcast by ordering some a pen and a napkin merchandise. And like I said, you get to look good. If you're interested in ordering, you can DM me on Twitter at a pen and a napkin, send me a direct message, or you can email me a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, and I'll get you those ordering details so that you can order some a pen and a napkin merchandise. All right, at, at this point, John, we're gonna we're gonna switch uh, we're gonna switch gears here a little bit. We're gonna go with our John Wooden quote of the day. Uh, I, I you had said that you had listened to one of the coaching staff episodes, and and, and Tony and I don't throw this in there, but we're gonna uh, on on our interview episodes we we have the John Wooden quote of the day here. Uh, so I'm gonna read you a Wooden quote uh, from Wooden: A Lifetime of Observations, and uh, I'll give you a chance to kind of listen to it, respond to it, give us your interpretation of it, and let me know what you think of it. All right, sound good? Awesome. All right, here we go, Coach. The John Wooden quote of the day from Wooden, A Lifetime of Observations. This is from page 11 of the book here. Too often, we get distracted by what is outside your control. You can't do anything about yesterday. You can do nothing about tomorrow. So make today a masterpiece. You have control over that. So I'm laughing as you're reading that because you wouldn't believe this. And, and if my assistants listen to this, they're going to be laughing as you say that. Okay. Because my famous thing that I say to my assistants all the time is control what you can control. Yeah. And the reason I, I bring that up is um, I have a, a social work background as well. And one of the things, you know, as a social worker, you're taught is to make sure that people stay in the present. And, you know, when we overthink the future, we create anxiety. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I am very big on control what you can control. And, and I can make you laugh when I say I will not let my assistants talk to me about any opponent but the next one. And my famous thing to them is let's just beat or let's just play blank mm-hmm. next opponent. Gotcha. They, they, and my ones that have been with me for a while, they know at this point, they won't even talk to me about anything but the next day because I am that big on control what you can control. Yeah. But I, I, I think that's, uh, there's a lot of truth to that though. We, uh, sometimes, especially when you have a, a good team, and uh, I think there is, to a degree, you got to think down the line a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. But but uh, y- you can drive yourself crazy thinking about okay, if we win this game, if we win this game, and maybe if we drop this one, but we win the three after that, then that puts us, at, you know, like in our state, we have this wild card point system. And you know, for a, for a history teacher, I have to do way too much math uh, when <laughs> you know when it, when it comes to that and. Uh, you know, just just take care of your business right here and now, and, and control. Like you said, I use that all the time as well, John. So control what you can control, and 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 I think that's the way that you have to attack just day in and day out. Uh, my old college roommate, John, 
Uh, yesterday's over with, tomorrow's not here yet, so all you can do is worry about today. And, and it's kind of that same type of philosophy that you have to have. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. Yep. Well, hey, John, let's get into your uh, X's and O's philosophy here. Uh, let's. Uh, you want to talk about offense first? You want to talk about defense first? Um, let's talk about offense first. Okay, all right. You want to talk about your transition offense or your half-court offense? So ours all starts with our transition offense, so I think that's a perfect place to start. All right, so let's go there, Coach. Uh, talk to us about your, your transition offensive philosophy, uh, what it is. Describe it to us, obviously, over the phone is, is not the greatest medium because we're not able to draw it up and do all that stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, what do you do? How do you implement it? Uh, maybe some drills that you use to implement your transition offensive philosophy. Uh, I'm just going to kind of let you cook here, as I often say. And if I have a question, I'll try to politely interrupt you. Uh, but you, just tell us about uh, what you guys do there at uh, Resurrection College Prep when it comes to your transition offensive philosophy. So, and, and I'll get into this a little bit with my half-court offense, but we are definitely a play a major focus on our transition offense. Um, we try to play with tempo, and I, I know lots of people will say, you know, pace and space and those kind of things, but we truly do. We, ha- we have a few foundational things that we try to play with. Um, we try to score in games under seven seconds. In practice, we actually try to score in under five seconds um, in our in a couple of our transition drills. Um, we we have a drill we call Kentucky drill, and again, yeah, it, it'll be different to do auditorily, but mm-hmm. basically, it's a drill that I learned from Calipari about six seven years ago, uh, where basically he integrates a drill where it go it's a two on one, a three on two, a four on three, and a five on four fast mm-hmm. break all in the same drill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we, it is transition offense is something we work on daily. And when I say daily, I mean, we break it down to the inbounders footwork, um, so that the inbounder, uh, and the ball primary ball handler are banana cutting in the exact same motion. Um, we don't want the ball handler to catch the ball with their back facing away from the basket. We don't want the inbounder to spend any more than two steps, um, so heel toe, heel toe, throw the ball out. Um, and, and those things all sound minute, but if you truly want to score in seven seconds consistently, it, as we teach our, our players, if you're catching the ball with your back turned to the ball, you know, you're, you're wasting a second just turning around and assessing. Um, so that is, those are definitely things we do consistent outlet passing drills. Um, and, and we truly view offense as an 80 foot. 84 foot endeavor. Um, so that kind of ties into, we want 70 plus possessions in a game and 50 plus shots. So overall transition offense is, is very important to us. How much, how much time do you spend on that in, in practice? Uh, where do you implement it at? Uh, how do you, how, what are some other ways maybe where you get that, uh, you get that pace picked up there? So uh, just a, a little bit of practice breakdown, just to explain it in reference. So we start every day with what we call the fundamental five, which is five five-minute drills um, that is run by my assistant coaches. I, I don't usually do any of the fundamental uh, five. And then right after that fundamental five, quite often, um, that's about 25-ish minutes. Right after that uh, water break, we will go right into uh, either some 5 on oh or some uh, some Kentucky drill. Um, so we're, we're pretty consistent. 
um, in, in how often we do transition offense. I would say it's probably almost every practice. If, if we may take one practice off of it, maybe, uh, early in the year when we're trying to install a couple other things, but, um, it's, it's almost every day, um, uh-huh. just because we've transition offense as, as such an integral part. Um, and, and we, um, I would say just because we time everything on the scoreboard, I would say, um, our Kentucky drill by the midpoint in the year when everything is flowing, it goes for about seven minutes. Uh-huh. Um, do you have a, a numbered break, you know, uh, you know, Mary, you're the two, you're running the right side. Susie, you're the three, you're running the left side. Or is it just, hey, get wide, get wide, get it to the point guard, let's attack. Uh, you know, or is it kind of like a double barrel deal, like kind of the Iowa women kind of run the two guard fast break where they have multiple outlet opportunities um, and, and that type of thing? Is it is it that type of structure with it? Or, uh, or is it just kind of a little bit more free flowing and, uh, you know, roll with whatever the defense gives you? So I would I would say there is, and, and you're going to laugh because it's a very coachy answer, and then I'll explain. It's a structure, but not structure. And here's mm-hmm. what I mean. So what I mean is, if you find yourself, uh, so everything we do offensively is out of a five out. So for the most part, our fast break is also out of a five out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you find yourself in the front and you're the rim runner. Um, it doesn't have to be a positional thing. If you just find yourself in that middle alley and then once you run the rim, if you don't get it after a one second count, you'll often go to that left corner. Mm-hmm. If you find yourself on that right rail, again, it doesn't really matter positionally because our offense is very positionless. Mm-hmm. Um, you run the right rail. If you find yourself on the left, etc. The things I will say are structured are usually point guard and the inbounder Mm -hmm. and the only reason that the inbounder is so structured is i don't want and we don't want any time wasted while somebody's deciding am i taking it out am i picking it up am i taking it out of the net Mm -hmm. um so so i would say it it, there is structure to it but not as not in like a tom Izzo this number this number type of structure Mm -hmm. okay um what are some some other things that you may have borrowed do you, do you run some secondary action out of it or do you just kind of uh again just kind of play take whatever they give you or or you kind of right in that middle ground so i'm going to be honest with you and, and this will flow into our half court offense conversation we do not run a secondary and i will be honest with you when i say we have not run a set play in three years wow um so i think it it does make us unique um, and, and there is a, a method behind the madness, but um, it's really just a it's really just a flow into the offense kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, where does that you know where does that philosophy come from with the with the no set plays? So it, I'll be honest, it started three or four years ago. We we do not have really any height. Um, we are traditionally a, a smaller team. Um, Resurrection plays in the um, the Girls Catholic Athletic Conference um, in the Chicago Catholic League, um, which is pretty much one of the top two or three best conferences in the state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for those listeners that don't know, um, we are very often um, along um, with the East Suburban Catholic, um, we often have most of our teams in our final eight, in our final four, in our championship game. Um, so it's, it's a very, very competitive. It's a lot of um, high-level athletes. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we decided a few years ago was 
the way we were going to compete was to play very fast. And what I wanted and what my coaching staff and I, when we sat down and really discussed this a few years ago, we don't want our players to think, overthink, and Mm do too much where they have to stop. We just want them to react and play. And if you see something, go. Um, And I think that's kind of where that philosophy came from. Um, and our, our defensive philosophy kind of obviously when we talk about that will flow into it because it's connected. Um, but you know, we, it, when you run set plays, you have to stop and set it up. And, you know, we, we really, we just want to keep playing and, and not stop the pace and not slow it down and, and not give any opportunities for the opponent to catch up if we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as that flows into your half court, uh, what are you teaching in your half court? Is it is it pretty well pure motion? You said you do a lot of five out because you I assume you're not very big, uh, or you, you had said you're not very big, so that's where the five out comes from. Uh, are we doing some dribble drive? What what do you got going on in your half court stuff? So um, it, it has become a lot of dribble drive. It has become a lot of pace and space. It has become a lot of uh, Doug Novak concepts. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Doug Novak, but a lot of Doug Novak concepts and um, a lot of um, Coach Peretta, who was the longtime coach at Villanova Women, Uh uh, had a very free-flowing – his was a little bit more numbered. um, But about six years ago, um, I had the opportunity to just email back and forth with him after I had seen a DVD – um, and, and he was totally gracious to a young high school coach and, and, you know, gave me some things that they do and some, um, so I kind of meshed that over the years with some dribble drive concepts with some, um, concepts of Doug Novak and Mark Cassio. Um, and, and that's kind of where it has come. We do a lot of double gap creation. Um, uh, we do a lot of blur cutting, we do um, a big thing for us, and this is not an easy thing, is um, we are really based on one-second decisions. So mm-hmm. from the time you catch the ball to the time you do something, you got you have one second to make that decision. Whether you're passing, driving, or shooting, I don't mind what your decision is, but you have one second to make it. We, we do not – once we gain that advantage – we want to keep that advantage. So I would say those are kind of like the key places that our offensive concepts have come from. Um, and they, they've kind of all meshed together into, yeah, a pretty motion type offense. Sure. Um, what are some, what are some other, what are some drills that you use? Cause we, we do a lot of four and five out ourselves. And, and, and I know that's yeah. what a lot of people do. What are some, breakdown drills that you use with your team to teach those motion principles and just that free-flowing stuff. I, I think uh, coaching girls for a long time, uh, one of the frustrations that uh, a lot of coaches have when they're coaching girls is they want to run kind of that free-flowing motion, but you know, girls just sometimes have a tendency to stand or all they do is set a ball screen or whatever when you don't give them direction, but we don't want to give them direction. We just want them to play. And we've worked really hard and we've really committed to the motion stuff that we do. And I really like what we do, but what, uh, you know, what are some things that you do to help teach that motion offense so that they, they know how to read, they know how to react, they know how to come, you know, if the defense is playing the screen this way, we're, we're supposed to go this way or, or whatever it is that you do, John, what do, what do you got going on with that? 
So I, I would say I'm going to go back to the one second thing for just a, for just one second. That was not meant to be a pun, but it turned out to be. Yeah. Um, the one second decision thing is important. And we will actually when we do some breakdown, just some five on five. If, if you do hold the ball for longer than one second, oftentimes a coach will just blow the whistle and that's a turnover and you're giving it to mm-hmm. the other team. Um, so that that kind of promotes that quick decision making right there. That's just one minor thing. Um, we do another drill. Um, I like that, by the way. That's that's good. I like that. Uh, we do another drill where we break the court into six sections. So the free throw, if you can picture, the free throw line breaks it in half, the, the front court in half, and then the lane lines break it into thirds. So you have the three sections above the free throw line and the three sections below the free throw line. And um, each offensive player will go in a section. And as the offense starts, if two people on offense end up in the same section, that's a turnover. So as your teammates driving, you have to move out of your section or they're going to drive right into you while you're standing there. Um, so if you can visualize that, you know, breaking the court into six, six sections with five players, there's always going to be one quadrant open. So as you move, as your teammate drives, that kind of forces everyone to move because if that, that person that's cutting starts to move and that next teammate's not moving, well, now you're cutting into a section with a teammate. So that is definitely a drill we use to focus on the spacing um, aspect of the offense and, and using the whole front court um, to make sure that you are moving while your teammates moving. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but other other things we really do, like I said, we, because our focus, even in, in some of the zone stuff we do, is so much on creating those double gaps. It's, you know, we when we teach the cut, uh, we want you, as you're cutting, we want, and it has to be perfectly that one second timing, as you're sprinting through and your teammates catching, to be able to utilize that double gap, you really have to catch rip and drive off the hip of your teammate well the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you're catching ripping and going and they're sprinting otherwise that double gap is not going to be there especially against teams that are very good offensively um and then the, the third thing we do is we do a ton of um just drive and kick shooting and that might sound simple but it allows our girls to understand when my teammates driving, where do I want to be so that they can see me? So whether it's I'm driving from the wing to the baseline or I'm driving from the wing to the top side or I'm driving at the top from the slot or I'm driving from the corner to the baseline. It's just that repetition of, hey, I know when I drive from here, this is where my teammate is going to be. Mm-hmm. We're, uh, how do you divide uh, the court up into sections? What, what's the geometry of that? So, like I was saying, so if you if you take the court and you want to break it up into six sections, six equal sections, if you take the free throw line and you can break the front court in half, 
So you have those the top of the front court and the bottom of the front court just based on the free throw line. And then you take the lane lines and you can break the front court into thirds. So you have that outer third, the paint area, middle third, and the outer third. Well, if you take those two different breakdowns, that half and those thirds, you can break the court into six sections. Mm-hmm. And that gotcha. kind of promotes that spacing uh, aspect to make sure that you're not in the same sixth of the court as your teammate. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, that is that is getting used by the pioneers, uh, coach. That's that's uh, <laughs> we're we're, we're going to the mind is already at work here. So I love that. That's that's terrific, terrific stuff there. I, I like that. Anything else on your offensive philosophy that you want to add in? Coaches are absolutely loving are taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. No, I, I would just say, it, it does it take a lot of time? Yes. And and then I would just say the last thing for us that we really focus on is our shot selection. And we, we really do try to just shoot free throws and in the paint shots and threes. And that, obviously, there's lots of people that do that. And, and Nate Oates is, a, you know, I'm not going to pretend to have that philosophy. I stole that from many, many smarter coaches than me. But, you know, when I went back and looked at our stats to kind of prep, we we had 15 games this year of our 31 where we shot over 20 free throws in a game. So, you know, it, it's it's your kids understanding what shots you want and what shots you don't want and then allowing them to take those. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's jump into some defense here, uh, John. Uh, mm-hmm. You want to go, go full-court defense before we go half-court defense? Sure. Okay. So because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, kind of like my offense, my defense is all going to tie in into 84 feet. Uh, let's let it rip then. So uh, tell us a little bit about your 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 full court defense, uh, your transition D, what you're doing there, and and kind of what we did with the offense. Let's just let's just uh, you know I'll try to politely interrupt if I've got a question or a comment. So as far as our defense, um, as as simple as our offense is, and and you you may see a pattern here, as simple as our offense is, is actually as complicated as we make our defense. We do run multiple defenses um, as kind of with our offense, even though we basically run very similar concepts and no sets between zone and man. Defensively, we do run multiple defenses. Um, Not as much this year as we have in the past, um, but in the past, we, we had a color code system for different defenses that we wanted to use, whether it was a 1-3-1 one, one or a 2-3 or et cetera. Now we've, uh, now we've turned more into a multiple pressing team. So uh, we run di- a diamond press. We run like a 1-2-2, two, two, three-quarter court press. But 
our big thing, and, and this is something that I kind of put together, and I, I do have a video out there on YouTube, um, is a is a kind of a hybrid defense between um, an amoeba and uh, the Syracuse 2-3. And um, something we've done over the years is we've kind of made our press from that defense. Okay. So if you can picture the Jim Beheim 2-3 zone, um, you have the two on the top, you have the two forwards that play much higher than the typical 2-3 zone, and then you have the center. Mm-hmm. What we have done is we take our top two guards, and they're actually going to play a full-on man-to-man press um, full court. Okay. Our forwards then are allowed to go anywhere on the court they want, but they have to stay in their outer third of the court. So they're in, if there's someone in their outer third, they can play man. If there's not, they can kind of sit back and almost play a little bit of a zone. And then our center, because we're more of an athletic team, we don't really have a true center. Um, our center can go anywhere they want, but it has to be the middle of third of the court. Okay. So it kind of is, I would say, a hybrid man zone type press um, that we've kind of created over the years just out of, I, I don't even know, maybe necessity, maybe yeah. just being creative. Yeah. Um, but that that's kind of our butter, uh, bread and butter press. Um, and we've tweaked it over the years as, you know, people bring up three people into the front court or people do other things, but that's kind of our primary press, um, for us in the full court and in the half court, um, we are trying to create turnovers. That is our number one thing. Um, I, I was looking at our stats today, um, when we created 15-plus steals in a game this past year, we were 15-0. and 0. Mm-hmm. So that should pretty much tell you how much we rely on creating turnovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very, very proud of my kids this year. They were able to create 785, I believe the num- final number was, opponent turnovers, which is, which is awesome. I couldn't be prouder of them. Um, so, you know, defensively in the full court, you know, we're really trying to, to disrupt you, to speed you up, to kind of, um, take that ball out of that primary ball handler. And then it kind of, uh, it kind of doesn't stop when we get into the half court. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, our goals in the half court, uh, obviously again, we want them to have one clear goal. So for us, it's to force one long contested two-point shot Mm -hmm. um but our other goal is we just want to break your rhythm we don't want you to be able to run any of your stuff we feel like we want a game that is a little bit unorthodox Mm -hmm. we want a game where i might not be coaching as much in the true sense of like calling things out and such but i also want the other team to not yeah. be able to do that, if that makes sense. No, absolutely makes sense. Absolutely it does. Because, you know, you want, like you said with your offense, you just want your players to play. And by by doing things that way, by taking, the, you know, it, it's, you know, Belichick calls it, you know, making people play left-handed and taking away what they want to do, what, what they consider to be their strengths by throwing some different looks and different things at them. So I know exactly what you're talking about there, Coach. Yep. So, so we, we, we really, we just really want to disrupt your rhythm and make you play a, a game you're not used to. Mm-hmm. 
Um, do you uh, when you're when you're coming back into that half court, um, it, you, you kind of have this hybrid zone. And, and, and yep. am, am I understanding it correctly that basically that's what you do in the full court, and then you pull it all the way back to the half court, and you're kind of you know not always running the same thing, but that's kind of one of your base things is what you do there. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I would I would say that is definitely our base thing. Um, we. I, w- I would say that is a great way to put it is we, we definitely do some other, you know, we'll throw in like on a, on a dead ball, a one, three, one or some other things, but that, that is definitely our base. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some things that you do to, again, kind of going back to what we talked about with your, with your offense, with your defense, what are some things that you do to, to break that down in practice? How do you teach it? What are some, what are some of your favorite defensive drills, whether it's full court stuff or half court stuff that you use to, to implement kind of this, like you said, this this hybrid type of defensive system and, and different looks that you're throwing at people. So it, it truly is, I would say in the summer, most of the summer, we will play straight man because a lot of, even though we're in a zone and most people would say, oh, you, you know, you play a zone defense. A lot of the principles uh, are man. We do side the ball. Our goal for our, our top zones, our, our top guards and our forwards is when you're on the ball, you're, you're siding it, you're pushing it up the sideline um, and, and you're trying to keep it there. Um, so I, I would definitely say that is something we really work on is siding the ball. We probably do a ton of siding the ball more than you would think most zone teams would do. Um, but then it's, it's those little drills. Um, you know, we do a back tap drill, a continuous back tap drill. Um, we do a lot of drills where, um, we work on those like breakdown slides. So for example, for us, our post player can leave, uh, can leave the middle of the zone. If, if it's a complete reversal and they have to get out to that corner three, mm-hmm. we work on that forward in a very Jerry Tarkanian type of way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, yeah, that, that amoeba, forward yep. sliding back into the middle. And, and we do a version where, the forward on a ball reversal might have to step all the way up to take away that opposite skip wing three. And that guard on that side may have to drop down to where that forward is. Uh So it's those, it's those little breakdowns. But again, I I think what I want to emphasize with that is I want them to be able to do it because that's what they react to. Uh And I think that's the most important thing is, is I want them to be able to do it in a reactionary way because there's no time in the game for me to say, you slide up, you go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How long do you think it takes for your kids to really get it? You know, because a lot of times we have these great ideas, and especially we're heading into uh, the spring and summer and, and we're re-putting together our teams and we have great ideas uh, but then sometimes we as coaches, kind of like what we were talking about with your motion concepts, we get frustrated, so we revert back to what we're comfortable with in, in, instead of staying with it. So how long does it take for your kids, and I'm using air quotes through the phone here, John, to, to get what you're doing defensively? You know, I, I would say that it's – I think that's, to be really honest with you, one of the reasons in the summer we start with straight man because I want them to understand those man concepts and then put it just in that formation. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times if we were to teach it like from a 2-3 zone, 
like, and I think it would confuse them almost to be like, well, but this is my zone. I, I remember, this is a true story. I remember a, a young lady that came in to play for us and um, she was standing in the middle in the paint and, and she was a freshman and, and I, and, and whatever, we were in man to man in the summer. And, and I said, what are you doing? You, you know, your girl just shot a, a shot and, and you weren't guarding her. And she goes, well, my coach told me that I'm supposed to stand right here with my hands up. <laughs> and, and I think, so that's why I, I, I say that in jest of saying, you know, I, I think sometimes it does take a while. It, it does. But I think that's one of the reasons because we don't spend a lot of time on running different offenses because we don't spend a lot of time on running different sets because, you know, we, we just use our time to do a lot more breakdown stuff Uh um, so that it it does maybe speed that up a little bit um, in the sense of that. But also I think my JV coach is amazing. My freshman coach is amazing. And when they start some of those concepts, some of those terms, some of that common language, that's something we've really tried to focus on as a coaching staff. I think it does we have found it does speed up that learning process, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. You know, you, you've got to have that uh, that unified language within your program. So your freshman coach isn't saying this, uh, and your JV coach is saying this, and you're all meaning the same thing, but you're using three different terms. Uh, th- yes. th- that, that kills a kid, and, and we're, uh, I'm sure you're probably the same way, we're very strict about, you know, this area of the floor is called Manhattan. This drill is called bulldog shooting, and the kids know immediately what it is. You know, uh, this is when we say strong side stays. This is what we mean, and and we are very very regimented in that regard. I'm guessing you are the same way. Oh yeah, absolutely. If I say pinch and fan, our kids know what that means. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's the sooner you can get that common language, just like in the classroom, right? As soon as you can get that common language in your classroom, it, it makes the learning more enhanced. Yep. Great stuff, John. John uh, John Palicki, head girls basketball coach at Resurrection College Prep in in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, John, any any social media, anything you want to plug, whether it's for your program, whether for your your podcast, uh, you know, uh, anything that wants to know more about what you're doing to help grow the game and to help grow your program. Uh, what do you got for us? Yeah, I, I mean, all your listeners, please feel free to follow me at Coach. Palicki, P-A-L-I-C-K-I on Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm happy to, I, I was just talking to a coach the other day from Minnesota. We did a Zoom and, and got to learn from each other. Um, if you, if you uh, also, you can follow my, my podcast with my partner. Uh, it's called After the Timeout. It's simply on Twitter, After the Timeout. Um, and, and you can find our podcast pretty much, I'm sure like you, pretty much anywhere podcasts are. Um, whether it's Apple or Google or Spotify or Amazon Music, um, and just search after the timeout. And uh, but yeah, I, I love to connect with coaches. I love to share the game. I love to learn. So you know, please reach out to me on Twitter. Please reach out uh, via the show. Uh, and then if you have any questions, you can feel free to email the show account at afterthetimeout at gmail dot com. Great stuff, John. Really appreciate your time. I, I hope you enjoyed being on the other side of the podcast routine here this week. 
I did. I, I can't thank you enough, uh, Coach Blum, for, for having me on. This was a great time. Uh, appreciate it, my man. And, and looking forward to being in your neck of the woods here in about 24 hours or less than 24 hours. So uh, hopefully, and I'm hopefully I'm there for a few days. That, that would be a really, really good thing. So, uh, Coach, if you could hold the line here just a second, just need to wrap up a couple of things as we normally do. Again, I want to thank John Palicki, head girls basketball coach at Resurrection College Prep uh, out in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Uh, great job. I'm really excited to check out his podcast and, and uh, you know, does a lot of really good things there. So, uh, Also, of course, we want to thank COSAC Chiropractic. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Uh, download, rate, review this. Again, subscribe. It helps us out. Uh, it helps move things forward as, as people are looking for basketball coaching podcasts. Uh, it's a great way to, to help people find what, what we're doing here. Questions, comments, suggestions, ideas, email me at penandanapkin at gmail.com. And, of course, if you could, check out a penandanapkin.com. Really good coaching website. Uh, I feel like it's a good one, but that's just me. But I'm the one that made it, so I'm going to be a little bit biased. So, uh, Great discussion here with uh, John Blakey. Great week. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day 